Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. As Haggis gets older, I've noticed that Cat has a system in place for keeping him safe because she loves him and as do I. When we're walking across a street, because again, he's getting older and his eyesight isn't so good. When she wants him to go, she says, shoop, 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 shoop. And he understands that that means go. And then we get to a curb and she says, up, up, up. And he <laughs> he jumps up on the curb. I've noticed a disturbing pattern that she's now doing those things to me. The light turns to walk and she looks at me and says, shoop, shoop, shoop. And then we get to the other side. Up, 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 up. I care about you. (laughs) And also there's a lot of like broken uh, concrete and uneven sidewalks here. So I just, I want you to, you know, make sure you're watching where you're going. And I'm not sure how to say the city's motto exactly in Spanish correctly, but it uh, roughly translates to the city of tripping hazards. <laughs> it's pretty much it, yeah. Which yeah. is nice. I think it's lovely. It's mm-hmm. quaint. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, Haggis has gotten really good at following the directions. You've still got a little bit of <laughs> little, work little, to do. A little but work to do. I, I believe in you. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you have that much confidence in me. Other than that, we're, we're doing pretty well. We're settled into our new apartment. Uh, we're still sitting on the floor. Yeah. My back hurts a lot. (laughs) Baby steps to the elevator is what I say. This is a topic that I have kind of shied away from because you can really get into a rabbit hole Mm. before you know it. Those are my favorites, though. Yeah, So, but it's hard to stay focused. So I am specifically focusing on one element of the story. Okay. It has to do with Atlantis. Oh. It has to do with ancient Egypt. Mm. And it has to do with Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet. Oh. There was a recent expedition in Egypt's iconic Giza Plateau. Archaeologists detected a mysterious anomaly beneath the Sphinx's age-worn paws. 
And this has reignited age-old debates and speculations. Further research on this, though, is at a standstill. Now, the fact that they have found something, some sort of an anomaly, could be a chamber, which implies intelligent design. It could be just a cavern, Mm -hmm. which could be of natural origin. But for some reason, they're just not investigating it. Who's not investigating it? The Department of Antiquities or anybody that has access to the Giza Plateau. Oh, so we've discovered this. People want to investigate it. And there are those saying, no, no. And why? Is it from an overabundance of caution to preserve and protect this priceless artifact that, that has come down to us from antiquity? Or could it be something else? Could the world's leading historians and policymakers be concerned that humanity isn't ready for the revelations discovered that might challenge everything we thought we knew about our past? Listen, we know there's aliens now, so I don't see Oh, I how... forgot to mention that part. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Atlantis, ancient Egypt, Edgar Casey, and aliens. Oh, and aliens. Yeah. Well, maybe a little to a lesser degree. Now, as I mentioned, Edgar Cayce, often dubbed the Sleeping Prophet, he remains one of the most enigmatic figures in the realms of paranormal and metaphysical uh, activities uh, in the past 150 years. Shocking, considering he was so sleepy. (laughs) He was sleepy, but boy, was he prophetic. He was born in 1877 in rural Kentucky. Cayce's journey from humble beginnings to becoming a luminary in the field of psychic readings It's really quite extraordinary. I've read a lot of books about him over the years, and it's captivating. He had over 14,000 documented readings, and he would tackle topics ranging from holistic health remedies to past lives to predictions about the future. Now, a reading, just so you know, people would come to him Mm -hmm. with a question. Oftentimes, it was a health concern, and he would go into this trance-like state Uh, He appeared to be sleeping, but he would make these recommendations and diagnoses and essentially would come up with prescriptions for them to improve their health. And almost always they were correct. Now, one of these fascinating readings, one topic in particular, and again, you know, I'm starting to get into a rabbit hole with different readings that he did, but this one stands out. And that's his claim about the existence of the Hall of Records, an alleged repository of ancient knowledge and wisdom. Uh, Not one, but three, in fact. A library? Kind of a library of ancient knowledge, but goes way back into prehistoric times. Edgar Cayce's vision of the Hall of Records is one of the most captivating elements of his extensive series of psychic readings. These so-called halls are believed to be, as you said, libraries or repositories containing records of the ancient and lost civilization of Atlantis, as well as possible other ancient societies. And these readings have fueled a lot of speculation and exploration over the years. Now, I mentioned there were three of them. Okay. Casey suggested that there was a hall of records in the Yucatan region, potentially linking it to the ancient Maya civilization. And this would insinuate that the Mayans might have some interaction or had had some interaction or shared ancestry with the Atlanteans. And if the Atlanteans are connected with Egyptians, it would make sense that they are both so into pyramids. Exactly right. I wasn't even going to bring that up because, again, rabbit hole. Right. But yeah, it's interesting. Casey said Atlantis was 
essentially right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, that parts of Florida and the Yucatan Peninsula are mountaintops from what was Atlantis, Mm -hmm. but that it stretched all the way over to, well, close to the Rock of Gibraltar. Oh, wow. It was large. It was very Very large. large. We saw the Rock of Gibraltar and I cried a little. Another repository or library is in Bimini in the Bahamas. It's located uh, off the coast. In the 1930s, Casey specifically predicted that in 1968 or 1969, a portion of Atlantis would start to rise. Coincidentally or not, a curious underwater formation, which is known as the Bimini Road, was discovered in 1968, leading some to speculate on its potential connection with Atlantis. That's right. And it does look man-made. But it's it's just rocks, right? But it looks man-made. Mm. And then, of course, the third and uh, what is considered to be the biggest library of knowledge or hall of records is supposedly lying under the Sphinx and right under its paws. Was the Sphinx built to cover the repository of knowledge? That's the idea is that it was kind of like a marker. Oh, This is where it is. Casey asserted asserted that a chamber beneath the Sphinx's paws contains records of the lost civilization of Atlantis. It's claimed, or he claimed, that it would not only reveal the history of Atlantis, but also the origins and purposes of life on Earth. Some of his readings indicated that uh, the time capsule was buried there around 10,500 B.C., so a little more than 12,000 years ago. Whoa. What was supposedly hidden in the Hall of Records. Casey describes a series of stone tablets created by the people of Atlantis, which chronicles the history of humanity much further back than our current records. This might encompass not only the story of Atlantis, but humanity's interaction with extraterrestrial beings and civilizations. Mm-hmm. These tablets might also record information about the use of crystals for energy. This was a big thing that Casey talked about, that they had some sort of ultra-futuristic, beyond-our-current-state-of-technology, laser-beam-like technology that was not only used for uh, energy source, but but also uh, for propulsion, for flight, and ultimately, to the demise of the Atlanteans, a weapon. If that was what caused the end of the Atlanteans, why would you want to preserve that information? As a warning, perhaps? Oh, perhaps. But Kate, uh, we're not real good at heeding warnings. No, that's that's true. And there was supposedly one giant crystal on top of a pyramid. And when Atlantis sank, of course, that pyramid and the crystal went down with it. But Casey says... That when the sunlight is just right and it does penetrate the waters of what is now the Bermuda Triangle, it activates this crystal and causes all kinds of anomalies. That's a whole different rabbit trail. Don't get me started. Okay, I'm sorry. And plus, it was so long ago. It was 84 years. (laughs) That is a different crystal. Yeah. The tablets also contain spiritual and cosmic knowledge, allegedly deep spiritual insight into the nature of our existence, the relationship between the soul and the divine and the journey of souls through various incarnations. Atlantis's understanding of the afterlife, spiritual realms, and the existence of other dimensions beyond our physical reality. 
Also, technical know-how, details on how the Atlanteans harnessed the energy from crystals, mm. for example. Architectural marvels emphasizing harmony with nature, building techniques that utilized natural energy flows, sacred geometry, and other esoteric principles. They also include historic interactions, accounts of the Atlanteans and other ancient civilizations. And these ancient civilizations, whether they were terrestrial or otherwise, uh, what their role was in seeding or mentoring our early civilizations, such as ancient Egypt, the Mayans, and others. And the, uh, the theory that aliens are why we started agriculture, I'm sure. Yes. There were prophecies and predictions, a guidance for future generations to navigate challenges, both external like environmental or social crises and internal like spiritual and moral dilemmas. So like Bear Stain Bears books. That's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> now, is there evidence that a global catastrophe took place on the same timetable as the story of Atlantis. Now, Plato, this is where the story of Atlantis, the most ancient version of the story of Atlantis uh, came from. Plato mentioned Atlantis in two of his dialogues, Timaeus and Critias. According to Plato, Atlantis was said to have been destroyed about 9,000 years before his own time. So that puts it around 11 to 12,000 years ago. Aha. Uh -huh. Interestingly, Recent scientific findings suggest the Earth experienced massive cataclysms around 12,000 years ago, the Great Flood. If there were advanced civilizations before this cataclysmic event, it's plausible they left records to ensure their knowledge would have survived. So we're thinking that a giant landmass kerplooping into the water is what caused the Great Flood? There are many theories on that, which rabbit is hole, enough, rabbit hole, another rabbit hole. Rabbit yep, hole. Yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> Some say it was a, a global warming event. It was right after a lesser ice age and water levels rose dramatically. Some say it was a comet or asteroid. Some say volcanic activity. But the big question is, is the Sphinx even old enough to hold records from 12,000 years ago? Dr. Robert Schock, you and I have watched documentaries about this guy, a geologist has posited that the erosion patterns on the, on the Sphinx suggest water-induced wear, possibly indicating that the monument is much, much older than traditionally believed. Right. He cites the erosion patterns on the sides of the Sphinx look like water has just been pouring down on it. it the patterns erode in a vertical manner. Mm-hmm but it would have taken torrential rain over long periods of time to create those types of erosion patterns. And of course, we're talking about the desert, the Giza. Known for being a very rainy place. <laughs> Not now. How far back in time would one have to go in order for the climate to allow this type of erosion patterns? He says at least 9,000 years. Now, Edgar Cayce believed, and this was a prediction, that he made, that the Hall of Records would be discovered and opened between the late 20th century and early 21st century. This forecast was, of course, intriguing. I remember reading this when I was a kid in the 80s and really looking forward to it. Wait, did you say when you were a kid in the 80s? Yeah. That math doesn't exactly track. I look at people who are 20 and I say, what? Well, that's a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So as far as we know, that didn't happen, but this did. Ground penetrating radar and seismic studies conducted around the Sphinx in the late 1990s and early 2000s have identified anomalies or cavities beneath the monument. Specifically, uh, in the early 90s, a team led by John Anthony West and Dr. Robert Schock performed seismic surveys near the Sphinx. One notable anomaly suggests the potential existence of a cavity or chamber beneath its paws, precisely where Casey had predicted the Hall of Records would be found. But that's the cavity that we are not able to investigate. Yeah. Aha. Could it be a coincidence the seismic survey's timing in the 90s aligns pretty closely with Casey's forecast, uh, lending weight to the idea that maybe, just maybe, his predictions were accurate. Given the specifics of Casey's claims, both in terms of location and timing, these discoveries of these anomalies could be seen as more than just mere coincidence biased proponents. Detractors, however, and skeptics argue that GPR and seismic anomalies are not uncommon and that they could be attributed to natural formations or minor cavities. Mm -hmm. Of course, let's research it. And your question is, why aren't we being allowed to? Yes, it's one of many questions. These are some of the reasons that have been given by people in charge. Preservation concerns. The Sphinx, of course, is an ancient monument, and any excavation could potentially harm it. Yeah, you can't be digging around under there. Plus, yep. it's sandy. It's very sandy. There's the uncertainty of findings. Not all anomalies detected are guaranteed to be of significant archaeological interest. There are many bureaucratic hurdles. Gaining permission can be challenging mm. uh, due to the many agencies and organizations involved in the preservation and management of such a significant historical site. Sure. Then there's religious and spiritual significance. Some view Giza, the plateau, as sacred and an excavation would be disrespectful. And then there are the theories that I like. One suggests that authorities already know what's beneath the Sphinx and uh -huh. are intentionally suppressing this knowledge because it could rewrite human history, challenge established narratives, or even reveal extraterrestrial connections. And they don't want that because... It would disrupt the structure of power. Okay. Some believe that organizations, ancient organizations like the Freemasons, have ancient ties to the knowledge purportedly stored beneath the Sphinx. Why is it always the Freemasons? Because they've been around for so long. <laughs> and they're not the only ones. Other organizations like, say, the Illuminati of and course. stuff are, are working behind the scenes to prevent the discovery. There's speculation that the records beneath the Sphinx might contain information that could challenge established religious beliefs leading to religious authorities to tr trying to suppress the excavation, a lot like Dan Brown. Mm -hmm. Some think there's a concerted effort by academic and archaeological establishments to suppress alternative theories about human history, including the possibility of ancient advanced civilizations such as Atlantis. Now, if that's not esoteric enough for you, there's this theory that suggests the chambers... You'll like this one. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you'll like this, even though this is probably one of the more far out ones. You, All right. You'll, you'll like this one. A more esoteric theory suggests that the chambers beneath the Sphinx are meant to be opened only at a specific time based on astronomical and astrological events. And those in the know are just waiting for the right moment. Perhaps it's a Stargate, sweetie. You think it's a Stargate? Yeah, that's one of the things that's been thrown out there. Maybe it's a time capsule. 
Well, that's essentially what the Hall of Records would be if, in fact, it's real. It's a time capsule oh. that goes back 12,000 years. Oh, my gosh. Let's watch Stargate. God, that's my favorite movie. No, it's in my favorite movies. Also, Donkey Time. Are you mocking me? While Edgar Cayce's predictions and the subsequent ground-penetrating radar discoveries offer tantalizing hints toward the existence of a hall of records, concrete evidence remains elusive. Oh, wow. Huh. As of now, no direct discovery of the hall of records has been publicly announced. <laughs> Nevertheless, the alignment of Casey's predictions, the technological advancements and geophysical findings keeps this intriguing story alive and ensures the Sphinx remains at the center of ongoing debates and speculations in the world of alternative archaeology. My source information, Redating the Great Sphinx by Dr. Robert Schock. The Bimini Underwater Discoveries, Search for Atlantis and Geological Anomalies by J.M. Valentine, and The Cycle of Cosmic Catastrophes, How a Stone Age Comet Changed the Course of World Culture by S. Warwick Smith, A. West, and R.B. Firestone. Whew, there were a lot of rabbit trails there that I had to avoid. Yeah, you did a really good job. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, 
it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Back in 2006, William Shatner passed a kidney stone. The Shat sold the stone for $25,000 to an online casino. The casino, of course, wanted the ensuing publicity. Shatner, however, donated the money to Habitat for Humanity. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. We got a message from Cricket Bat. I was listening to the potato poisoning story. I have no clue what number it was on the way home. And I realized my partner had put a bag of old potatoes in our basement. He was going to put them in the compost and had them hanging from a doorknob in the Kroger bag ready to take out. (laughs) He must have forgotten about them. And as soon as I remembered they were still there, I became Lightning McQueen. I got home. I threw those suckers in the compost and aired out the basement immediately. LOL. Ka-chow! Also, what the fuck? I was just listening to The Way by Fastball, and now I'm listening to episode 566. And as soon as you said their names, I dropped my one hitter. <laughs> you all are in my brain. I love it when we cause somebody to drop their one hitter. You might call us one hitter wonders. <laughs> Melissa writes, howdy from Texas. I recently was listening to Box 562 and the story of people receiving phone calls from relatives after they had passed away. It reminded me of my own phone call from beyond that I had to share. My grandmother and I were very close, especially in her last few years. I would drive her all over town and take her to a support group that she was attending. She was the most popular person in the support group because she had the most hilarious advice. It usually wasn't wise, but it always made us laugh. She was the best. Mm -hmm. On our drives, we would listen to Single Ladies by Beyonce. She was widowed and had fallen in love with the song. I taught her the hand motions and she'd dance while we drove around. I eventually made it my ringtone when she'd call. Unfortunately, she began to get sick and was diagnosed with leukemia. I was at her bedside a lot of the time I was off work, treasuring our last moments that we had together. She ended up passing away very quickly, which was a blessing as well as a curse. The afternoon she passed, I was at her home, grieving and helping my parents do the necessary tasks that you have to do when someone passes. When all of the sudden my cell phone started ringing, it was playing single ladies. I looked down and the caller ID said her name. I stared at it. How could this be? What could she possibly want to tell me? (laughs) Is this really happening? What do I even say? My stomach was in knots and my hands were shaking. I pushed the answer button quickly before it went to voicemail. I lifted the phone to my ear and with a trembling voice, I said, Hello, Granny? And then I heard giggling. My five-year-old cousin had gotten a hold of her phone and pushed one of the speed dials. It called me. Needless to say, I quickly took the phone away from her and went on about my business. Looking back... I like to think that my grandmother had a good chuckle watching me from heaven. (laughs) She got me good on that one. That's amazing, Melissa. Chantel sent us a message. 
I joined Patreon. If I have a bad month, I might have to cancel it and restart it, but I'm excited to listen. You guys got to be paid in some shape or form. I mean, you do get me to sleep every night. Not because you're boring. Oh my God, I just realized how that sounds. You know what I mean. <laughs> I wrote back and I was like, yeah, no, a lot of people say that they fall asleep listening to us. It's, it doesn't hurt our feelings anymore. And, <laughs> and they said it definitely makes for some interesting dreams. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Box of Oddities. I said box. Published in Fisher's Memories in 1919 was a letter to Winston Churchill from retired Admiral John Arbonaut Fisher, dated 1917. I hear, he writes, that a new order of knighthood is on the tapis. OMG. Shower it on the Admiralty. He said OMG? He said OMG. What year was this? 1917. a boy. <laughs> Fisher began World War I as a first sea lord, but resigned in 1915. But that didn't keep him from being a language innovator. Uh, it's the first documented use of OMG. Of course, Fisher in the letter did clarify what OMG stands for. It said OMG and then in parentheses, oh my God. So I think that's kind of cute. But it's an example of something that we feel like is new, but really isn't that new. Did he also coin the phrase totes my goats? Oh, yeah. Yep. I love this guy. Fisher's goats um, <laughs> was a big thing. Anyway, turn a blind eye. Now, this expression, meaning to ignore or deliberately not acknowledge something, can be traced back to a naval incident in the 18th century. Early in his career in the Royal Navy, Admiral Nelson suffered an injury that left him blind 
in one eye. During the Battle of Copenhagen in 1801, Admiral Sir Hyde Parker, who commanded the British forces, signaled Nelson's forces to cease their action. At that time, naval orders were transmitted using signal flags. When Nelson was informed of the order, he famously lifted his telescope to his blind eye, (laughs) remarking, I have a right to be blind sometimes. I really don't see the signal. (laughs) Consequently, most of his forces continued to attack despite the order. There is a misconception that Nelson had discretion in obeying the order, but this is contradicted by the fact that it was a general order to all attacking ships, some of which did break off. Nelson himself openly admitted in a letter that he had fought contrary to orders. So he owned up to it, OMG. (laughs) It's the late 1980s and early 90s, and your parents totally know you're staying up late to watch Saturday Night Live. Not. Wayne's World sketches popularized not. Right. But the joke first gained popularity in the early 1900s. Humorist Ellis Parker Butler wrote in Pig is Pigs in 1905, certainly my dear friend Flannery delighted. Not. (laughs) (laughs) Gaslighting. Gaslighting seems like a pretty new term. It's gained a lot of popularity in the last few years. Sure. In contemporary usage, gaslighting refers to a form of psychological manipulation where an abuser intentionally instills self-doubt and confusion in their victim's mind. It's obviously harmful. It's aimed at undermining someone's perception of reality. But gaslighting originated from a 1944 film called Gaslight. The plot revolves around a husband who deliberately orchestrates peculiar events within their home, such as knocking on walls and dimming of gas lights, to make his wife and and others question her sanity. The film itself was adapted from a 1938 play titled Gaslight. So gaslighting comes from the act of actually turning the gas lights up and down. Yeah. To manipulate somebody. Wow. Wow. I would have thought it would have had something to do with the theater back in the day when they had gas lights on the stage and it was, you know, a production or a suspension of disbelief or something like that. Mm. Well, it was originally a play. So, I mean, you're kind of Mm. kind of on board. Okay, right. I'll take a win wherever (laughs) I can. Booze. Booze to me feels like a very modern term, but it's not. A Daily Telegraph court report from 1895 goes as follows. Mr. Willis, she heard some men shout that they wanted some more booze. (laughs) Mr. Justice Wright, what? Mr. Willis, booze, my lord, drink. In terms of alcohol, the earliest reference found by lexiconographers working on the Oxford English Dictionary is Houghton's 1859 Compendium of Slang. Wow. But booze, meaning potable liquid or a beverage was used at least as far back as the 1730s, as in the phrase peck and booze, for meat and drink. You know, you could do a whole topic on just slang words for booze. For booze. Throughout history. (laughs) Yep. Uh, A couple of my favorites from the Civil War period, one was uh, Oh Be Joyful, and another one was Pop Skull. (laughs) I love your story about the origins of the term rot gut. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
That was, uh, yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole that I don't have time to get into right now. Right. But it's gross, trust me. To trick something out. Trick has been used as a verb meaning to dress or adorn or decorate since the 1500s. Wow. Which to me, trick is like equal to pimp my ride. Right, yeah. And uh, trick shows up in various times on and off throughout the years, meaning to fancy it up, to trick it out. That's amazing to me. The 1500s? That's nuts. This is another one that surprises me. The verb to hang out, meaning to spend time or to live, can be first found in the dictionary of buckish slang in allusion to the custom of hanging out a sign or a shingle to indicate that one's shop or business is open. Oh. Your shop is open, so you hang out a shingle. So colloquially, it became known as to to be found. You hang out in this area. And that is recorded back to 1811. I love this. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. (laughs) You know, I love words and phrases. I know you do. In the nick of time, in addition to being a not good movie that I watched on a bus (laughs) on a ride to Colorado one time, this phrase indicates that something happened just in time to prevent a negative outcome. It's been used since the 16th century. It likely originated from the use of a nick, meaning a small cut or notch, and stems from the custom of carving a nick in wood to tally hours as they passed. So a nick would designate a specific time. I see. So if you did something just in a nick of time, you know, you just barely made it. Mind over matter. Though often associated with modern self-help and motivational literature, this phrase has roots dating back to the 19th century, and it reflects the concept that mental willpower can triumph over physical challenges. According to Merriam-Webster, it has meant exactly that thing for decades. Now, this is how originally I wanted to start this topic. Phrases that go the other way. Phrases that are newer than we think they are. Okay. Unfortunately, not a ton of information (laughs) on exactly that thing, unless they're like techie terms. All the research that I did, I only found things like using Google as a verb or selfie or foodie. Remember that, that guy that we used to work for who tried to pass himself off as a tech kind of guy? And um, when we suggested doing something online, he, he said he would have to check the onlineness of it. Yep. He also said that he, quote, didn't get me. <laughs> well, he wasn't the only one, sweetie. <gasps> Rude. The term 5 gained popularity as a nickname for the police. Right. 5 0 It gained popularity as that nickname following the television show Hawaii 5 Yeah, yeah. Which aired from the 60s to the 80s. The show featured Hawaiian police force uh, and a fictional law enforcement unit. The nickname was inspired by Hawaii being the 50th state to join the United States. Now that I did not know. Hawaii 50 because of its popularity the nickname 50 became widely recognized uh, not just for Hawaiian police officers but police officers across the country I had no idea I thought it had something to do with like some sort of police scanner code Well that would make sense that's understandable Like my tattoo <laughs> She gets her area code tattooed on her arm the area code from Maine 207 but what is the police code for that 
a kidnapping. Kidnapping. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, catch twenty two. Now we all know catch twenty two refers to a no win situation or a contradictory rule. The term catch twenty two actually comes from the book Catch Twenty Two. It was coined by the author Joseph Heller in his 1961 novel of the same name. It didn't exist before the book, which in my understanding, the book was written about a catch-22. Oh, okay. Not that... He he coined the phrase. Right. Okay. Now, this all came to be because we were in a trivia competition last week, and one of the questions was about where the term shut your pie hole comes from. And they referenced that it was from the author of the book, Christine. So obviously, we wrote down Stephen King, and we got it right. I immediately had my suspicions. So I came home and I looked it up and it it does not originate from Stephen King's Christine. It comes from the 40s. Are you going to file a grievance with the the trivia committee? I will. I demand a refund. (laughs) It's free to enter the trivia competition. So that's why it was a joke. Anyway, there's some fun word stuff for you. I love fun word stuff for me. I got my information from Oxford English Dictionary, Merriam-Webster, Smithsonian Magazine, Mental Floss, and The Telegraph. We would like to welcome our most recent uh, members of the Order of Freaks on Patreon. Chantal, Catherine, Kimberly, Jane Hawkline, Smith 98 Miranda, Val, Kim, and Natalie. Thanks all for hanging out with us. Uh, We do have a bonus episode coming up as well as a Zoom from our new apartment. And if you want to become a member of the Order of Freaks, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com and click the support this podcast link. And we do appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The Big Picture Questions and the Most Interesting Research in Science.
Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.